Welcome to the Three Strands Church Podcast. Isn't it time to put an end to all the chaos and soap opera-like madness going on in your life? Join us as we discover how to eliminate the craziness that so easily invades your day and threatens your emotional sanity. Find out how to finally stop the drama. Yeah, yeah, say we're going to stop the drama today. So I'm excited to start this new series. Definitely plenty of drama um, going on around the world and in each of our lives, mine included. And so uh, I had some of that this week. It wasn't quite the kind of drama you'd think of maybe, but today was my fair, or today, this week on Friday was my very first day of being a full-time pastor, right? That was exciting for me, okay? But it would have been way better, yeah. Okay, okay, I appreciate that. And afterwards, I'll be taking donations if you want to, I don't know what that was for, but, and so um, it was exciting for me. It would have been a little bit more exciting had it come on Monday, right? But it came on Friday, and so my weekend wasn't really much different than it normally would have been because I was still kind of cramming in getting stuff ready for church today and, and planning stuff and things like that. So it was, it was not quite the, next week will be better is what I'm trying to say. Everybody gets that, right? Because next week will be the full week of doing it. But I decided that I would take that first day on Friday and instead of making it like a work day, you know, a full, like, full-on work day, that I was going to try and make it special for the kids. Because I'm not usually home and I'm usually like rushing around in the morning to try and get out of there. And I thought to myself, I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning. I'm going to make everybody breakfast. Okay, that was my plan, okay? And so uh, the night before, I said to Sydney, I was like, hey, what do you want for breakfast tomorrow? And she said, chocolate chip pancakes. And I was like, that sounds, I can do that. I can do that. That's not beyond me, all right? Some things are beyond me, but that's not beyond me. So that I can do that. So they wake up the next morning. Of course, Sydney's in kindergarten now, so she's going off to school. And Stephanie had to work outside of the house on Friday. And so it was just going to be me and Logan. It was going to be like a guy's day, right, for the day. So I thought, I'm going to make this special for him. I won't be able to do that every day, but this very first day of me being around more, I'm going to try to make it a special day with just him and I. So I thought, I'll plan it out, and I got some errands to run. I'll take him with me, and it'll be kind of like a guy time, right? So I get up, and I said to him, I was like, hey, Sydney said she wanted chocolate chip pancakes. What do you think about that? He was like, yeah, chocolate chip pancakes. Sounds great. So I was like, okay, I can, I can do this, right? So I make the chocolate chip pancakes, and I made them two each. Sydney loves them. She eats them scarfs them down, right? And Logan's eating his, and he loves them. He gets to the very last bite. Now, this isn't the first bite. If it was the first bite, I would feel like it was my fault, but it wasn't my fault because he gets to the last bite of the two pancakes he had, and he pukes, right? And uh, okay, so if you're a mom, maybe that isn't drama for you, but that's drama for me because I'm looking around the house trying to find somebody to clean that up. You know what I mean? And I'm like, it's going to be me. This is not good. I'm, I'm, I'm calling the water office, seeing if I can come back to work. You know what I mean? I'm looking for, I'm trying to call up all the babysitters, see if I can find somebody who's got an hour to come over. And so he pukes, and I clean it up. And I thought about calling today, um, like, Pancake Puke and Patience. But I decided not to. We're going with a different title today. But uh, so I clean that up. and Okay, that's not going to ruin my day. I'm not going to let that little bit of drama ruin my day. So I was like, we got these plans, man. So come with me. I'm going to get my hair cut. You can come with me. We're going to run to the bank and I'm going to go to the office, get my last check. And uh, we're going to go to the grocery store, do all the shopping. So when mommy comes home, she'll be like, oh, you guys already did the shopping. We were going to like score points, right? And so I was all excited about it. So I take him with me for the day. We're about an hour or two into the day. And I said, to him, man, this is great. I said, I get to spend the whole day with you. Isn't this awesome? And he says, I really like it better when mommy stays home. 
like, what just happened here, right? I'm like, man, I had plans for the day. And I had it all mapped out. And I even did all the things I said I was going to do the right way and all that. But it still didn't quite work out the way I thought it would. Maybe that is how your life goes. Right? Maybe you plan it out. And you even execute the plan the way you thought you were going to execute it. But somehow along the way, drama creeps in. Right? Things don't always go according to plan. And you're left kind of thinking like, man, I got so much drama in my life. And I planned all this out, but I didn't expect that person to stab me in the back. And I didn't expect that person to abandon me or walk out on me. And I didn't expect all these things to happen to me. And I didn't expect for those people to die so young. And I didn't expect for my health to leave me at such a young age. Drama. And so what do you do? You're like, I like to say we pray and we read our Bibles We talk to some Christian friends about it. But most of the time what we do is we put on that smile, right? And we go out into the world and we pretend like all the drama we've got isn't real and everything's just great. Or we go on our phone and we post something on Facebook to prove to the whole world that we've got it all together when inside it's all falling apart, right? We front. We put on a mask And we pretend to be something we're not because the drama gets to be so much, I just can't deal with that anymore. Right? And people who used to be your friends, now you just avoid them. People you thought, somebody you thought you'd be married to your whole life is now the person you dread running into because they left you. The doctor's checkup that you used to be like, it's no big deal to go get a checkup once a year, now you dread it. Because you know he's probably going to announce some drama when you walk into his office. And so you fake and you get phony and you pretend so nobody will see the drama that's going on in your life. And you could be a completely different person behind the doors of your house than you are out here in public. Most of us are just like that. You know one thing I've learned about drama? And I have had my fair share of drama. If you don't know my life story, you don't know that yet. But you will someday if you get to know me. And I've had a lot of drama, probably more than you. You're sitting out there right now thinking, I've had a lot of drama. Probably not. I've had a lot of drama. And one thing I've learned about drama over the years is drama is draining. It's draining. There's almost nothing in life that makes you more tired than drama, right? It's exhausting. But I want you to know today you can stop the drama. You can stop it during this series. God has prescribed a plan to get it out of your life. It's not even really that difficult. It's pretty easy. Now there's some practical things. Might be a good idea for you to take a Facebook vacation. You know what a Facebook vacation is? That's not where you post a bunch of like Google pictures on Facebook to show everybody like all the cool places you've been that you haven't been to. A Facebook vacation is when your phone, I don't have a phone, but it's got this like awesome button on the side of it. And if you hold that puppy down, a little thing will come up on the screen and just say, slide to off. You can just slide that puppy across and bam, the drama is over, right? So there's some practical steps you could take to eliminate some of the drama in your life. But that isn't even really what we're talking about in this series. It's simpler than that. That, that stuff can be good, but it's easier than that. And I want to unpack it for you in the next five weeks. So what I've done is I've kind of boiled down drama to the five main causes of it, 
all right? And we're going to cover one each week. And uh, there may be some other causes of drama, but man, I thought about it pretty hard. And these are the five that I could come up with that all drama seems to come from these five things. Now, like the real, like, you know, the scholarly, like theologian, religious guy out there right now, he's sitting there going, oh, I thought all drama just came from sin. All right, smarty pants, you're right, okay? But all five of these things we're going to talk about are sin, right? See, Sam's laughing because he was thinking that because he's the smarty pants religious guy here, right? Is that right? (laughs) And so we're going to talk about five things. All of them are sin. I get that. We could boil it down for one. But one week doesn't make a good series, Right? Am I, am I right? Okay, so, so we're going to do five weeks of it, and we're going to talk about five different things. And I promise you that if you will learn God's plan for eliminating these five things from your life, that you will get rid of all the drama you face. Life will be much more peaceful. And isn't really that the opposite of drama? Peace, right? And so today I want to talk to you about this first one that I called Stop Comparing. Stop Comparing. You don't have to raise your hands because that would be embarrassing maybe, but I would venture to say that almost everybody in the room from time to time struggles with this. Now there's some guy out there right now, he's like a kind of a big burly guy, and he's thinking, well, I don't compare myself to how anybody else looks. That's true probably, we can tell, all right? But that isn't what I'm talking about. There might be a girl out there who does compare herself to how other girls look. But there might be a guy out there that compares himself to some other guy's job or some other guy's bank account or some other guy's mounted deer heads on his wall. I don't, I don't do that, but I'm just saying you might be like that, right? It doesn't, if I come into your house and you've got a lot of animal heads stuffed and mounted on the wall, it doesn't make me want to compare my life to you. It makes me want to leave, really, if I'm being honest, because it's like freaky, you know what I mean? Like a bunch of stuff looking at me, okay? But I get it that some people are into that, Okay? And I'm just going to put this out. This has nothing to do with the sermon today. But I was in somebody's house in our county here, and they got like 50 animals stuffed in there. It was like creepy. It was creepy. It wasn't like deer. It was like, you know, rats. It was like everything. They stuffed everything they get their hands on, you know. And uh, anyhow, it has nothing to do with today's teaching, but I just wanted to share that with you because I, want, I wanted to be honest about it and own it, okay? But um, so we're going to cover these five things. The first one today is going to be to stop comparing. I guarantee you, if you will go out of here today... And stop comparing yourself to other people. You will experience a lot less drama. You know what happens when you look at, if you're a lady, and you look at some other lady and you think, wish I looked like her. That doesn't seem so bad, does it? I wish I looked like her. Slowly over time, what starts to happen? You start to not like her. You start to think, eh, what a jerk. She didn't even do anything to you. She just looks different than you, right? The guy in the room, he goes out of here and he, Starts looking at some other guy, and he's like, man, that guy's wife is way cooler than my wife. I mean, my wife, all she does is scream and yell at me, and that guy's wife is, like, making him dinner and, like, treating him with respect. And like, You know what happens when you start doing it? You start to dislike your wife. Drama never stays right here. Comparison never stays inside of you. It always spills out into your life. So today I want to share with you this idea about stopping the comparison game. Stop comparing yourself to other people. The Bible is full of stories of people who compared themselves to other people and it devastated their life. It, it caused drama for them. You could go back to the very beginning of time and Cain and Abel, and Cain, look, Cain looks at his brother and he's uh, jealous of his brother. He's envious of what his brother's offering to God. He starts to compare his gift to God with his brother's gift to God. Where'd that lead him? You flash forward into the Bible and you get to Joseph and his brothers. 
And Joseph's brothers all got angry and compared themselves to how much their dad loved Joseph. They started to hate him. They plotted to execute him. They ended up selling him into slavery. You can flash forward to the New Testament, and there's a time, a story in the New Testament where Jesus, his closest disciples, his closest followers, and John the Baptist's closest followers, disciples, were comparing themselves to each other. Why don't we baptize people like John's disciples baptize people? It, it created like a tension between them, and Jesus had to like nip it in the bud, right? Because c- comparison creates drama internally that always spills out into your world. And so we want you to stop that. We want you to stop comparing yourself to other people so that you can get rid of the drama in your life so that you can experience some peace. Comparison is the thief of joy. It steals it from you. It's really just another way of saying envy, right? You look at what somebody else has or what somebody else is and you think to yourself, my life would be better if I had that. I would be complete and fulfilled and successful if I just had what they have. You start to say things like that internally. And before long, it it grows deeper into you. But I want you to know today that God never, ever mails your blessing to the wrong address. I mean, do you think if God blesses somebody else that he runs out of blessing? See, we tend to view blessing like a cake. Now, I love my cake, right? Everybody who knows me knows I'm a pastry kind of guy. I don't want any ice cream or candy. I want some cake and pie. But we tend to view God's blessing like cake. And we see him giving a piece of it to somebody else. And that's okay. But when he starts to give out piece after piece after piece, we start to look at the cake tray and we start to think, there's not a whole lot of cake left. Don't you dare be giving that last piece to somebody before I get mine right? That's how we tend to view God's blessing as if he's passing it out and it's going to run dry. Solomon, the wisest guy who ever lived besides Jesus, the wisest man who ever lived on earth, wrote three books of the Bible. It's an awesome perspective of his life because those three books cover his whole lifespan. He writes this little book in the Old Testament called Song of Solomon, and that book is written from his perspective as a young man. And he's writing about young love and the feelings and emotion and passion that comes when you meet that girl and you want her to be your wife. And he writes from that perspective. And then he goes on in his middle ages and he writes the book of Proverbs, which is like a a bunch of short snippets of wisdom that he's learned through the first 30 or 40 years of his life as this wisest man ever. And he's giving us like practical advice for life. And then he gets to the last book he wrote. We call it Ecclesiastes. And it's this book that he writes in his old age, looking back on his whole life and saying, after I've lived my whole life, I can now tell you what really matters and what doesn't matter in life. Doesn't that sound like kind of the progression you go through in your own life? You're young and so you're like, it's all about love and how I feel and what my emotions are. And he writes a book about that. And then he gets to kind of like, you know, middle age, right? It's hard to even say that, guys. I'm just saying. He gets to that stage and he's like, I, I got some stuff I could teach like the younger generation, and I got some stuff I could, I've learned some stuff in my life. I know how to function and succeed in life. And then he gets to old age, and he looks back on life, and he's kind of like, you know, a lot of that stuff didn't matter at all. And here's the stuff that really matters, and he wants to leave that behind. Today, we're going to look at a passage 
out of that third book he wrote, Ecclesiastes. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. That, of course, is the chapter that the name of our church comes from, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12. But today we're going to look at the paragraph just before that. And Solomon addresses this topic of comparing yourself to other people. And he says it's meaningless. Looking back on his life, he says it's like chasing the wind. You chase the wind, you feel it, but you can't ever catch it. You can't ever grab a hold of it. It makes me think of my dog sticking his head out the window while we're driving, and he's trying to like suck in all the air he can, but he can't ever get it all, right? If we let my dog go into a swimming pool or a lake, he instantly tries to drink the whole thing. We've been in Lake Erie with him. He tries to drink the whole lake. And, and that doesn't seem like a big deal until you got to take him back. And he's got to go to the bathroom like every eight minutes for the rest of the night, you know, because he tries to devour the whole lake, but he can't do it. It's worthless. It's like chasing the wind. It's an impossible task. And this is what Solomon's going to tell us. Let me show you this first verse of the passage. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 in verse 4. He says this, Then I observed that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. But this too is meaningless, like chasing the wind. The thing that drives most people in life is looking around at other people and saying, I want to be like that. I want to get what they have. I want the kind of relationship they've got. I want the kind of faith they have. I want the kind of house they have. I want to have as much money as them. Man, if I had what he has, then I'd never be upset. I'd never be sad. I'd never be lonely. That, FYI, is fake news. We're allowed to say fake news in church? I don't know. That's fake news, by the way. So let me give you real quick four areas of of comparison for our lives. This is the four things we all tend to compare ourselves to other people with. Ready? The first one is possessions. Things like our cars, our houses, our clothes, our salary. The second one is our appearance. How we look, our body shape, our eyes, our hair color, our height. The third one is our circumstances. Do we have kids? Do we not have kids? Has disaster struck my life and not yours? Why is it fair? It's not fair that I live where this hurricane hit and you don't. It's not fair that you got this job and I didn't. Things like sick people in our family or sick people for ourselves, right? Dead loved ones. Our circumstances. And then the fourth one is our performance. Our job, the effort we have to put into it, how our spouse treats us, and the way we parent, how much energy and effort we put into our parenting. Man, if I could parent like that guy, my kids would be, wouldn't be the hooligans they are now, right? <laughs> I say that whenever I see Katie. I'm like, man, if I could parent like Katie, my kids wouldn't be so wild, you know? But those four areas, maybe for you, one of those stands out as the area you tend to compare yourself to other people the most in. And what Solomon is saying in this passage is that I see people determining where they are based on where everyone else is. And that is meaningless, like chasing the wind. It's meaningless. And so let me ask you the question today, do you decide where you are in life based on where everyone else is. Now maybe you sit there and you say, so what are you saying? Or if you're like, so if you're real Southern, you'd be like, so what are you saying, preacher? No, is that how you say it? I don't know. What are you saying, preacher? Is that how you say it? That's how they say it in the South, right? Preacher with an accent. Pre- no, that's how Heather says it. Kenny pointed at Heather when I said Southern. Oh, 
So what are you saying? Are you saying we shouldn't pursue anything? We shouldn't give any effort to life. We shouldn't try to have more money. We shouldn't try to have a better job. We shouldn't try to be a better husband or wife. We should, we should just sit back and lay back and rest and be lazy. No, luckily Solomon doesn't just write one verse. Look at the very next verse in verse 5. He's going to quote a proverb and he says, Fools fold their idle hands, leading them to ruin. See what he's saying? He's like, no, no, no. If you just sit back and do nothing, that makes you a fool. You just cross your hands. You're like, I'm not going to do a thing. That, that leads to ruin. But then he gives us a brand new principle in his old age. Ready? Here it is in verse 6. And yet, better to have one handful with quietness. That's a code word for peace, right? Better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. You guys hear what he's saying? You would be better off with half of the stuff you want and some peace than getting everything you think you need to be happy and working your fingers to the bone to where you can never have a free moment. He's not saying to be lazy. He's saying to reevaluate your priorities and go after the stuff that really matters and forget about the stuff that doesn't matter. Don't, don't be the workaholic. Don't be consumed with everybody else's wife. Don't get your eyes on everybody else's situation and circumstances and think, if I just had it like they had it, then I'd be okay. No, instead, reevaluate your priorities and go after the stuff that really matters in life. Nobody gets to their deathbed and says, man, I wish I'd have spent less time serving God. I wish I'd have spent less time with my kids. I wish I would have spent less time just living relaxed, peaceful existence. Nobody thinks that, but some of them get to their end of their life and they think, man, I wish I wouldn't have been such a workaholic. I miss life. I, I wish I would have been more content with the family God gave me the first time. I, I wish I would have been more at peace in the smaller house. Because that bigger house is just more stuff to fix and more stuff to pay for. So he's not saying to sit back and just be lazy. He's saying to go after the stuff that really matters. Look, real quick, let me just say, comparison causes you to pursue the things that don't matter. That's what it does. Listen, i got to tell you, if you had her hair, your life wouldn't be any better. It wouldn't be any better. If you were hotter, just throw this out there, okay? If you were hotter and it allowed you to get a hotter girlfriend or boyfriend or a hotter spouse... They're just as big a jerk as the ugly spouse, right? They, they require just as much work and effort as the, as the not-so-good-looking spouse. The bad-looking people aren't like better people. It doesn't have anything to do with it. You're going to have to put in just as much work in your marriage if your spouse is attractive or if they're not attractive. So you looking better doesn't get you anywhere further in life. You having more money just brings more problems with it. One thing, I used to sell cars. One thing I learned selling cars was you'd have people come in that made like two grand a month, and you'd have people come in that made like eight grand a month, and then you'd run their credit report to see if they could get a loan for a car. And they both had just about the exact same extra money. Because when you get more money, you know what you You just buy an extra car. And then a bigger house. And you go on bigger vacations. So you spend up all the extra money. And at the end of the month, you're like, oh, how am I going to pay that electric bill? The same thing the $1,000 a month person's saying. 
It causes you to pursue things that don't really matter. But then he doesn't stop there. In verse 7, look at what he says. He says, I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. Verse 8, this is the case of a man who is all alone without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can, but then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is all so meaningless and depressing. Not only does comparison cause you to pursue the things that don't really matter, it also causes you to pursue the things that don't really satisfy. You're working and accumulating all this stuff. It doesn't give you any satisfaction. So when you compare to other people, this is what happens. Ready? I'm give you some comparing the causes, some things that happen when you compare. Here they are. You ready? Real quick. First one is pride sets in. Because you start to look around. Anything you do accumulate, you start to say like, ah, look what I've got. And all of a sudden, you're better than the people below you resentment sets in you start to feel resentment towards god because he didn't give you what you think you deserve but more than that you start to feel resentment towards the people that have more than you greed you become stingy because you always need more stuff you always need another operation to make yourself look better you always need another toy at the store to feel better about yourself You always need a new car because the one you thought was your dream car two years later doesn't feel like your dream car anymore. So you get greedy and you can't even be generous anymore because you've got to save everything you've got to get the new stuff you need to feel better for a minute. And discontentment sits in. You start to look around at your spouse and you say, you should be more like them. You start to look around at your friends like, why don't you guys treat me a little better? You start to look at your boss. You're like, I don't deserve this. I'm quitting. Right? Discontentment says, because the opposite of comparison is actually contentment. And so these things, these four things, pride, resentment, greed, and discontentment, maybe you didn't realize there's not, but they equal drama, right? When you start looking at other people and think you're better than them, when you start looking at other people and hating them for what they have, when you start being stingy and greedy in your life, when you start being discontent with what you have in, your, in, in the world, Drama sets in because you start to lie. You start to backstab. You start to cheat. You start to do whatever it takes to get a leg up in the world. And so you become that kind of person, the kind of person that none of us want to be. Now, maybe you think it doesn't cause that much drama, but I want you to know that these are the kind of things that lead to divorce and lead to fights and lead to bankruptcies and lead to lying and lead to backstabbing. These are the things that lead to all those unhealthy actions on our part. So what's the big deal, you might be thinking? These are just thoughts, right? If I just think it, it's not that big a deal. If I think I'd like to look like her, I'd like to have what she has, or, or I wish I had more of what he's got. If I start to think those things, is that really such a big deal? It's just the way I think, right? If only there was a verse in the Bible that would lay it all out for us and say, no, 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 it's not just what you think. It actually does more damage than that. I found one. Can I share it with you? It's in the New Testament in James chapter 3. James chapter 3, he talks about this subject. James chapter 3 verse 16 says this, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, comparison, right? I want what they've got. I'm jealous of them. I should have what they have. It's not fair. Wherever that exists, there you'll find disorder, 
Disorder is another way of saying drama. You guys get that, right? Disorder, chaos in your life, drama in your life, and every evil thing. An evil of every kind. It doesn't just stay in your head. It spills out into your world. It becomes filled with drama. And that would be bad enough. But James goes even further and says it actually produces all kinds of evil. Now you think, okay, maybe I'm with you on I shouldn't compare myself to others because it's inside of me and it changes the way I think. And maybe I'm with you on that kind of spills out and creates drama in my life. But surely I'm not going to get involved in anything too evil because of that. I got the perfect example of that in the Bible. Does anybody know why they executed Jesus? This is a good question for sure. I would have got this wrong. and I've been to Bible college, so. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, okay. So everybody, that's what I would have said too, right? Ha <laughs> that's good. A good answer. Okay. So they, they executed Jesus because they kept saying, he's claiming to be God. And we know that no, nobody like him, nobody that came from where he came from, nobody that's like him could possibly come from God. And he kept claiming to be God. That's what they wanted you to think. But I found in the Bible where they uncovered the real motive behind it. Can I share it with you? Maybe you're familiar with this story where Jesus is on trial before Pilate. And Pilate is kind of sizing up Jesus and he realizes that Jesus is innocent. And so he's trying to look for a way to let him go. In fact, Pilate's wife even says, why are you even fooling with this guy? Release him. He's obviously innocent. He's not a danger to the Roman Empire. And so Pilate has Jesus standing in front of him, and a crowd of people start to gather. And there's this awesome two-verse story in the New Testament that shows us why Jesus was really arrested and executed. You ready? I'm going to show it to you. It's in Matthew chapter 27, and in verse 17, here's the scene. You ready? As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? See, he's given them a way out because he knows Jesus is innocent. He thinks they're going to all say Jesus. But the religious leaders stir up all the people and say, no, 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 have Jesus executed. But the next verse tells us why the religious leaders actually arrested Jesus in the first place. Pilate was able to look through their intentions to see what was really going on. Listen to what he says. In verse 18 of chapter 27, he says, But he, Pilate, knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. I don't know if you can get more evil than executing the Son of God. And where it started was, who's that guy to be taking our followers? Who's that guy to have all these big crowds when he's teaching? Who is that guy to claim to be the Son of God? Who is he? We're better than him. I should get what he gets. Envy, jealousy, selfish ambition that leads to disorder, to drama, and then to every kind of evil. And the same thing happens in your life. I never knew he could treat me like that. I never, I never dreamed my friends could be so backstabbing. I never thought somebody would say something like that about me on Facebook. Where did that start? Right back here. When it's all thought, they all thought, man, I wish I just had what they have. I wish I just had what he has. I wish I just had a little bit more of what they've got. It causes drama that leads to disorder and evil. 
Real quick, I want to read you some questions. In case you're not sure if you're in the middle of a lot of drama, here's some signs. Ready? If you answer yes to any of these questions, then your life is full of comparing to other people. All right, here they are. You ready? Are you tired from trying to keep up? Do you feel tired from trying to keep up with everybody else? Are you financially strapped from trying to keep up? You've been convincing yourself the problem is you don't make enough money. But there's a better than average chance the problem is you've been trying to spend too much money. You've been trying to be just like everybody else and have everything everybody else has. Does what others have keep you from enjoying what you have? Can you not enjoy your house because the neighbor's house is nicer? <laughs> Can you not enjoy your car because the neighbor's, house, neighbor's car is one year newer? Do you enjoy your kids or do you spend your life pressuring them to keep up? They got to be the best athlete. They got to have the perfect academic scores. Nothing wrong with that stuff, but is that your goal? To press them to that? Does your spouse think you dislike them because they're not like somebody else? And here's the last one, maybe the most telling one. Is there someone that you secretly wish would fail? What does that say about us? It says we're comparing ourselves to everyone else, and it's inviting drama into our life. Listen, I think up until this point in the teaching today, everybody or just about everybody in the room probably agrees with me. I don't even know if I'd have to be in a room of Christians for that. Most people agree that they don't want drama in their life. Most people agree it's not very healthy to look at everybody else and compare yourself to them. Most people agree that they don't want to think evil or hateful feelings towards people in their life. Most people are on board with that. The question that we disagree on, the question that is hard to answer is, how do I stop doing it? How do I stop comparing myself to other people? I don't even think about it. It's just subconscious. How do I stop? Well, first, let me ask you this question. Who am I going to? Who am I going to use as a reference point to decide if I'm okay or not? And if you want to eliminate drama, the answer to that question is Jesus. Now, hang on a second. Don't don't, lose, don't, don't let me lose you for a second, okay? Stay with me. Because now you're thinking, okay, I was with you up until that point, but I was having a hard enough time. I mean, I was tired trying to keep up with the Joneses. I'm surely not going to be able to keep up with the Jesus, right? I'm surely not going to be able to do that. He was perfect. That's going to tire me out even more. That is the point. See, I really misnamed today's talk. I said it was stop comparing, but really, that's not accurate. That's a little inaccurate. It should be, stop comparing yourself to other people. But that, that, didn't, that didn't fit, like the wording. Didn't. You, you guys see what I'm saying, right? Like I had a two-word thing going on there for the series, so I'm just saying, okay. But it really should be, stop comparing yourself to other people. Instead, compare yourself to Jesus. Stay with me a second. You're thinking, I can't do that. I can't ever be like Jesus. That is the point. When you compare yourself to other people, you start to think, I could do what they do. I could get what they have. If I just worked a little harder, I could have as much money as he has. If I just primped a little better, I could look as good as she does. <laughs> but when you match yourself up against the king of kings, I come away from that encounter thinking to myself, I can't do that. I can't be that good. And that is the point. When I look at the life of Jesus, 
my goal is to come away thinking, I can't do what he did. See, when you look at other people, you come away thinking, I can do what they did and get success. When you look at Jesus, God's first goal for your life is that you would look at Jesus and come away thinking, I can't do what he did. I fall short. See, once you realize you fall short, then your life can get better. But as long as you're in pursuit of what everybody else looks like and acts like and is, you can't get your life any better. You can't get rid of the drama. Look, the Bible is packed with all different kinds of practical steps for how to get rid of drama, how to stop comparing, practical steps for how to do this. I'm not going to cover all of them. Let me just read you four verses that show you four different approaches. Can I show them to you? Here's the first one. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, therefore, since we are, Kenny just talked about this verse not too long ago. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Drama, right? Especially the sin, comparison, that so easily trips us up. Instead, let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. And I could say to you, hey, you want to get rid of the comparison game in your life? You want to get rid of some drama? Run your own race. Stop trying to run somebody else's race. How do you do that? Verse 2 says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion who initiates our, and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Let me give you another one. Psalm chapter 139, starting in verse 13. I don't look good enough. If I just looked like her, I'd be better off. God, you need to start seeing yourself the way God sees you. There's another practical step for you. You were made delicately. All of your inner parts were made by God. They were knit together in your mother's room. Look at verse 14. I say to God, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. I don't look at what you look like. I look at God and I say, thank you for what you made me like. There's a practical step for you. Here's another one, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. You think, if I just had better circumstances, if all this stuff just didn't happen to me, bam. So we don't look at the trouble we can see now. Instead, we fix our gaze on the things that can't be seen. For the things we see now soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Look at Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 14. You think, if I just tried harder, if I just performed better, if I just worked a few more hours, Paul is surrounded by these people, these Jews, who were saying, hey, you all, you Gentiles, you got to become circumcised to be a Christian. you got to be just like us. And Paul says, get that weak stuff out of my face. I don't have to do anything that you tell me to do to be a Christian. I don't have to perform. I don't have to try harder. I don't have to do any of the stuff you're saying. Instead, he says, as for me, I'm not going to look around and think to myself, if I was just more like him, then I'd be a good Christian. If I was just more like her, then God would accept me. No, if I'm going to boast, the only thing I'm going to boast about is the cross of Jesus. I take my eyes off of everybody else and I put them on Jesus. Because of that cross, my interest in everything going on out here in the world, dead. And the world's interest in me, they don't want nothing to do with me either. They think I'm a freak. But I'm okay with that because I'm not looking at them. I got my eyes on Jesus. And then look at verse 15. 
It doesn't matter whether we've been circumcised or not. It doesn't matter if your faith is at the same spot as my faith. It doesn't matter if your commitment to Jesus looks just like mine. If you read 12 verses today and I read 8. If you read one verse today or I read 100. It doesn't matter if I shared my faith with one person today and you shared your faith with a thousand. I'm not comparing myself to you. What counts is whether we've been transformed into a new creation because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Look, we could pick out hundreds of those. I don't want to do that today. But maybe you saw a theme in there. Here's the theme. You with me? Stop the comparison game. Eliminate that part of drama in your life. Here's how you do it. you got to be like a horse that they put blinders on. You can't see all the stuff around you. And you got to lift your head up. Now listen, when your head's up like that, you're going to trip over some stuff. That's okay. Tripping over some stuff is okay. But you take your eyes off of everything else and you put them on Jesus. You fix your gaze on Him. You look at the things that can't be seen. You cast your attention to the cross of Jesus and you brag about that. Don't you see what's going on here? God is saying, don't compare yourself to everybody else. Stop the drama. Here's how you do it. You look at my life. And you realize you fall short. You look at my cross and you realize that I love you more than anything. You look at my empty tomb and you realize that I have the power to give you a great life. You take your eyes off of the people around you, off of the circumstances around you, off of how you feel. And you pull up that emoji. And you take that emoji when you feel angry and you cover up. You force your attention off of how you feel onto what Jesus has done for you. You take the cross of Christ and you say, I I like to wink at that girl, but I'm married. So I'm going to take my attention off of her and I'm going to put it on the cross of Christ. And if I do that, you know what happens? I get to enter into a drama-free zone. I take all of my pain and my sadness from everything I've lost this week and this year, and I take my attention off of that, and I focus on the cross of Jesus Christ, and in exchange for that, I get drama-less life. And it isn't based on what I do or how I feel or what I think inside. It's based on what Jesus has done for me. See, the world whispers or screams to you. The world screams to you, you need more. But Jesus whispers to you, you need me. The world screams at you, you are not enough. But Jesus whispers back, I am more than enough. Some of you have been sitting back with your arms crossed, looking at God, saying to him, when you bless me like you bless everybody else, then I'll serve you. When you bless me like you bless the people around me, then I'll follow you. When you bless me like I think I deserve to be blessed, then I'll praise you. But God is saying, don't praise me because of what you can get. Praise me because of what you've already been given. See, you've been holding back praise because because of what you want. 
and you've been missing what you've already been given. But here, if you didn't hear anything else today, hear this. Don't praise God because you get the blessing. Praise God because he is the blessing. Maybe you've heard people say, don't let one event define your life. But we do that all the time, don't we? We let one bad day set us back for weeks. We let one bad choice lock us up for months or make us sad for years. But the problem isn't that we let one event define us. The problem is that we let the wrong event define us. The event that should define your life is what happened at Calvary. The hill where Jesus went out and gave everything he had to buy back your freedom, to buy back your drama, to make you just what he wanted you to be, apart from what anybody else looks like or has. And that there at that cross, that's where comparison ends and salvation begins. That's where drama stops and deliverance starts. That's where slavery retreats and freedom invades. We pass out this shirt. We sold these shirts. Freedom lives here. We don't say that because of us. We say that because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Comparison brings drama, but the cross of Christ brings peace. Will you guys stand up with me for just a second? Today could be your glorious day. The day where you get your eyes off of everybody else and you force your attention to Jesus. And you say, I know I want to be prettier. I know I want to be richer. I know I want a different career. I know I want to be married. I know I want to have kids. I know I want to have grandkids. I know I want to be released from this burden. And it all stinks. But today, I will take my eyes off of all that stuff. I will approach the cross of Calvary. And I will simply say to Jesus, you are the blessing. And I will follow you. No matter how I feel, no matter what emotion is in my heart, no matter what circumstances are in my life, I will follow you. In that moment, the Holy Spirit invades your life and gives you freedom. You don't have to say some fancy prayer. You don't have to have me pray for you. You don't have to walk down an aisle. You don't have to sign a card. None of that stuff matters at the cross of Jesus Christ. He takes your shame and your guilt and all the things you think are shortcomings in your life and all the drama you've got and all the circumstances that blow, he takes them and he says, I died for all those things and I will give you freedom from all of that drama if you will simply surrender and trust me to save you. Will you trust me? Will you release all of the comparisons at the foot of Calvary and let Jesus pay for your sins.